That's um, my interpretation of Thelonious Monk's Friday the 13th, which is a song he wrote many years ago. And I took great liberties with it. Um, I think uh, this is the uh, an, an impromptu uh, pop-up spontaneous Funky Friday at five. And uh, that piece was, was by Thelonious Monk. And I normally don't play that. I played about once a year or so. And as it happens, this uh, Friday the 13th, from what I understand, is the only Friday the 13th for 2022 right here. So I thought it would be, um, what's the word? It would be um, inconsiderate or, or missed opportunity to not come on and do something, even if it's playing a little piano or a lot of piano, hopefully not too much piano. But but we'll uh, start talking. I'm going to move my, move my uh, system over here. I wonder if anybody's tuned in. I don't know. It's hard to always know, you know, these things go up and you kind of, you kind of, um, you know, you kind of, um, don't want to make everybody dizzy there. Um, so, um, first I'm going to talk about things that are uh, happening tonight. If you're in New York city in about an hour, Jane LaCroix is performing at the wonderful red room which is in the east, lower east side, I think on 4th Street, east 4th and 4th, I think, I think, or 3rd and 3rd, and she's doing her usual her usual um, stuff that she does with other performers. That's a wonderful room. I've had the opportunity many times to perform with her in that particular room. It's a, it's a very speakeasy type room that has a bathtub in the back, and, and it's very beautiful and uh, really good people there. And I've, I've, you know, I've heard a lot, you know, again, it's New York city. So when you're there, you know, um, you get to hear all these poets and, and, and just, um, performers and it, and it has a, you know, it's, it's an open mic vibe that people do prepare things. So it's somewhere in between a formal show, uh, and an open mic. It's somewhere in the middle there, if I'm describing that correctly. So she's doing that. And then I have a lot of exciting things coming up for the podcast. So next Friday, at this time, uh, the wonderful painter Alexandra Carter and I are going to talk about The Lost Daughter on Netflix, a film by um, Maggie Gyllenhaal. And uh, we're gonna go pretty deep into that film. So if you, if you haven't seen the film, I recommend you watch it first before um, tuning into our uh, talk about it, our weeds talk or our deep dive into it whatever uh, expressions people are using now. Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing a number of uh, recording episodes and you with different, different upcoming guests and you know you, you do all these things and I'm trying to write music. I'm almost done with my piano quintet. Um, I um, have a couple of other um, other uh, unfinished pieces that you know you kind of one of these days I'm going to come on here and sort of ask you in the uh, audience to say, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, uh, and we'll sort of, we'll fine tune some things, I think. Um, I didn't really know, since this is spontaneous, I'm not exactly uh, what you would call prepared. So I don't want to be boring. So I found, uh, um, this book, by Wendy Steiner. Wendy Steiner is a uh, upcoming uh, episode um, for recording. I don't know when the episode's gonna air. 
Um, but we're going to also a give giveaway. We're doing a, a special giveaway where you contact us with your work, your creations, and we will showcase them. And we hope to get some subscriptions and some and some some uh, some contestants. And I and I'm you know it's a new totally new thing to do for me. And that's ongoing. And there's no you could call us at any time. You know if. Uh, you got something and send it to us and we're happy to. And our, our producer, Lois Strickland, reminds me that that's uh, ongoing now. But back to this book, um, The Real, Real Thing. Now, Wendy Steiner is somebody, well, I guess I first read her in the 90s because she wrote, she's written some books. Um, and the books are about... Um, kind of changing uh, social mores or feelings or responses to beauty or attractiveness. And so she wrote a, a, a book called Venus in Exile in the early 2000s about Venus being banished or something, or Aphrodite and Venus being exiled or banished in, in, some, in some art. But she's also, The Scandal of Pleasure is a book which has the... Um, uh, has a Mapplethorpe cover, the Mapplethorpe uh, flower on the cover. Uh, I remember that was in the mid nineties, but you know, what I like about her books is she, um, you know, she, um, you know, they're, 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 they're art books, but they're also um, very, um, that's Farrah Fawcett Majors, um, and that's, of course, that is a reference to Michelangelo there. And that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a project she did uh, with a, with a, um, uh, with a, with a sculptor. And so a sculptor wanted to, wanted to utilize Farrah Fawcett as a subject. She says, well, I tell you what, I will only do it if you let me make art and let me be a part of it. And, do sculpture, something really silly collaboration. And so there's examples like that. Um, and then there's examples of like the first thing I showed you was um, um, a Latin American uh, conceptual artist who uh, is doing artwork dealing with um, political prisoners and uh, the dictatorship and sort of people you know, of course, there's a big issue of disappearances, especially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then, then some things are just portraits, like some things are just different, but they're, but they're different um, artists who are... Anyhow, what I like about her books is that she, she integrates these examples, like, say, the Farrah Fawcett Project or the Louis, Louisiana Prisoners Project. And so the um, things that are glamorous, things that are less decidedly glamorous, things that are more edgy, things that are very political, things that are more popular like the Farrah Fawcett, et cetera. And she puts them all together and she weaves, it, she weaves narratives about what's going on or what, what uh, is happening in the art world at the particular time in which she's writing. She's also a librettist. She's writing operas, right? And so right now as we speak, she's working on an opera uh, and she's in rehearsal, and I don't know any more details about the opera. But um, uh, there's some Zoom conferences with the composer, and, and it's very um, – so she's a very, very creative, very talented, thought-provoking, and in some sense, I should say, accurate 
commentator about some things. Um, so there's that happening. And I really couldn't decide what I really couldn't decide what to discuss today. Do I talk about the snapshot? Because my idea of the snapshot. Do I discuss my '70s book? Because it all sort of connects. It all is sort of um, of a piece. And so um, I am going to try to talk about what I mean when I say snapshot, because I mentioned it several times. And I realize that I'm kind of using it uh, with a little bit of of, of, of irony because. Um, a snapshot in the way that I'm using it can mean something that's really labored and worked over. Like a snapshot could take 12 months or a year as much as it could take five seconds or five minutes, if that makes sense. So the important thing about the snapshot as a metaphor is not so much that it's quick or that it's instantaneous, but that it's, snapping a shot out of a moment in time so that you're capturing, well, you're capturing a moment and you're capturing an era. And there's a lot of, there's so many different kinds of snapshots. Like I said, it could be a literal, this is me. Now our producer, Laurie did this, I think very interesting, very good project involving me as a subject. Even if I weren't the subject of it, I would think it was interesting, but this is a picture of me in Times Square. I think it's 1979, I think. And you can see there's a playland is across the street. There's some adult entertainment places like this, um, the zoo, Swinger Zoo and the burlesque and all these things also. But notice how um, sparsely, this would have been in the summer of like 78, 79. So notice how sparsely populated the city is. There's nobody there. And I would have been, when this picture was taken, attending a matinee. Thing to me is, I don't remember what play. Don't, I couldn't tell you. It could have been Amadeus, maybe, or it could have been Equus with uh, Richard Burton. One of those, I don't know. I, I've, I've written about my playbills and theater, so we've got going to Neil Simon, all kinds of things. I was seeing something like that. And so... I went back to the same location and Laurie took these photographs of me in the same sort of location, right? So now see, they built all these things that, you know, they turned me, this is the post, this is the, 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 the post Times Square renovation, right? We have all these um, hotels and these, uh, these new buildings, um, often Disney related, I think that are in, in, in great contrast to what had been there and sort of in a way um, in argument with and protest at what many people did not like about the Times Square of the 60s, 70s and 80s, right? So, um, so this would have been 2016 and interesting. So these are actually literally snapshots in a way. But, there, but you know, the thing about a snapshot is something like you could have something like this. Um, and you could not know who this person is and just see this, some kid. And you can, I think you could devise a whole short story or a movie about this person. And I do think some artists work that way. They get an idea or they get a, um, they, it starts with an idea. I think David Lynch talks about uh, having certain textures or effects. Like he's very interested in textures and things that aren't necessarily a story. 
necessarily, not their pre-story, their before story. And so it could be a mood or a dream or something that speaks to him. And that could be the snapshot. And so, or the snapshot could be the finished product. But basically I'm, I'm trying to, when I use that example or use that, I think it's a metaphor, I'm trying to at one and the same time encompass the fact that it's a documentation of something. So there is a non-fictional, real life, truthful part of it. This is what these kids did, right? This is what this suburb, suburban neighborhood was like. This is what I was doing on this particular day. And this is, I was wearing this Izod shirt and there were these cabs and then, and then, the, and then they're advertising in musical Chicago. And so that's a snapshot of a period. But what's interesting is that it's not just documentation. It's also unreal. It's artificial because, you know, the word art comes from artificial actually in its etymology, meaning not fake in a pejorative sense. It's not a judge judgment. It means it's sort of something we create as opposed to just coming to us or as opposed to just found like a building that's created or like a house is created or, you know, well, culture, we're always creating culture and our cultures are, are many cultures are, are both good and bad. And there's some, there's some cultures that are, that leave something to be desired. And then there are cultures that are, that are um, uh, a mixture and, and some that are, are, are um, evoke, I guess, um, admiration or aspirational. Uh, and it's, it's just anything, anything in human mind, soul, heart can conceive could be made into a snapshot. And that snapshot could have a, uh, could speak to future generations who weren't around. So that's the other thing, you're documenting something, right? And when you document something, you're saying, well, this is what it was like to be here. Right. And, and more importantly, this is how I, how I felt about being here, which is going to be different from person to person. And so I, I actually study a lot of art, not just for this podcast, but for my life. And so right, right now I'm studying a filmmaker named Mia Hansen Love, who is a French filmmaker. And she is, I don't even know how to evoke what she does. I like it so much. I don't even know. I just say recommend, uh, well, Bergman Island is her latest film with Tim Roth, and, and, and um, which is Ingmar Bergman Island, by the way. And uh, All Is Forgiven is her first film, which is about a, a, a well, she, she, she uh, it's very Brissonian actually. So there's a kind of attention to the moment in detail. And she's totally unafraid of beauty. She carries beauty as far as possible. Like she'll film in a gorge or two people will be in a gorge and they'll be talking in the gorge or a family will be having a discussion and the camera is just so exquisite. And she's making these films and I've seen every film of hers, but her house music film, Eden, which is about a subject I know next to nothing, house, French house daft punk. And it's about the origin. So that's the film I haven't seen just because I haven't been able to access it. And it's sort of a musical about that culture what, uh, and, and, and those club scenes. And so most of our films are about families and, and about uh, a lot of films about love. So Goodbye First Love is, is, is incredible about a 15 year old girl 
and her 19-year-old boyfriend. And they get, they, they fight, they come together. And at the end of the film, they're in their 20s. And so there's a, there's a novelistic quality. Um, and you, you're, you're seeing people over a longer span of their life, but it's very different, I think, than what streaming does. Because streaming does have this kind of um, episodic character, whereas her films are very unepisodic. Um, they're like a stream of consciousness in that sense. Um, and I love to have her on the show. You know, you, you kind of get these ideas. I like such and such to be on the show. Will you please be on my show? I often feel like a, a like a that I would be, I would be, um, what's the word? I try to be uh, respectful, you know, that, that's my, um, that's my uh, approach. And I try to sort of hope, hope for the best and maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, so I don't really know much else. I've been watching those movies. And again, I've seen all the, all the films. And that connects to my cinephile piece because I wrote this piece and I want to make a couple things very clear about that piece. And even if you already figured this out, even if this is duh or obvious, just indulge me. Um, there's a lot of things not in that piece. There's good things missing. Okay? I mean, you can't mention everything. Like, so I was looking at the piece and I was thinking, very possible. I was thinking, you know, everything in that piece, um, the Busby Berkeley musicals, uh, The Last Detail, Cassavetti's Husbands, Rivette, uh, Jean Eustace's The Mother and the Whore, La Mama in Bhutan, um, Marie Minkin, the experimental filmmaker. Um, I can't list everything now that's in there. The Harvey Girls, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, 50s musicals. All of the things that are in that film are things that I would classify as good creations by people from all walks of life and eras, Hollywood and non-Hollywood, you know, American and international. So they have that. They're diverse too. But the other thing is that they're things that touch They touch here in the most directly and most intensely. So they fit into the category we call love, if you love something, which for me is very different than like. Now, like is important, and there's a lot of things that I like that if I talk to you about them, you might think that I love them because I'm so enthusiastic. But they don't they don't get to the love, they don't get up to a love level. They're still like. Just because they're not favorites or just because they're um they're not as influential, but all the things in this piece, the cinephile, are things that just, I mean, blow up. Antonioni's blow up. David Hemmings, you know, um, I have a whole book about the film over there. You know, Smoking the Bandit, I don't know. Um, these sex symbols of the, of the, of the uh, 70s and 80s, some 80s, not mostly 60s and 70s, right? Ursula Andress and uh, Raquel Welch, and et cetera, et cetera. And all these things, I mean, they're, they're, they're things that I love. And I'm aware that, you know, when you talk about love, as I said in the last stream, you know, it's very hard to talk about love because, you know, you, you, your articulation of your love for something will never match the love. 
because you feel like you can never do justice to it because you love it. There's, a, there's sort of a gap there. And so you do your best, you, you try to write your best sentence or compose your best piece of music that you could compose or perform. And then you have to finish, you have to close the door as Teddy Pendergrass said, right? You gotta, you gotta, um, you gotta close the door and, and have something, a finished work with a, with a period on it, with a, you know, the chord and be done with it. And hopefully it works. And I kind of think that's one way of looking at everything on our podcast, whatever it is. So when I'm getting ready for Wendy Steiner, I'm, Wendy, Stein, Wendy Steiner is entering my consciousness. And the, the phrase I like to use is she's entering my nervous system. So my nervous system is being invaded by Wendy Steiner's knowledge and her learning. A person I've never met. I've never met Mia Hansen Love. I've just seen videos of her talk at Lincoln Center talking about working with Isabel Hubert. That film, see, she makes films about intellectuals. So she actually made a movie where the main character is a philosophy professor played by Isabel Hubert. I mean, that's something I love. I mean, the characters talk about Kant and Hannah Arendt. <laughs> I'm thinking nobody makes movies about these people. And these, these people, to me, are what they do is valuable philosophy professors and also what they read. Not only is what they do valuable, but it's disparaged by a lot of the world who thinks who think that what they do is um, um, at worst meaningless, uh, at best, uh, I don't know, just just not as important as STEM. Because I, 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 just, I just watched a video with Azar Nafizi and somebody asked Azar Nafizi, what do you think about STEM, science and technology and <laughs> it's like easy said oh, I'm against STEM I'm opposed to it I mean she's being hyperbolic right because of course you got to teach math and statistics right and science it's important but she's kind of care you know because she her thing is you know well her thing is James Baldwin and Tanahashi Coates and Emily Dickinson and that's her thing it's not you know the lives of the cell necessarily oh that's a wonderful book Lewis Thomas the lives of the cell or it's not microbiology or, you know, debates about vaccinations, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's art. So that's the point of my show. But, but, but what I'm saying is um, when I get deeply involved in Mia Hansen Love, Wendy Steiner, um, it's entering my nervous system. And so what's happening is it's rewiring, it's rewiring my nervous system so that I am completely convinced that I'm being changed by it. I'm also convinced it's it's welcome. So there's something, I know something now that I did not know before. It's secondary what that thing is. It could be something about people usually or something like these French films I've been watching. Um, I'm learning an enormous amount about, about French culture, of course, because it's steeped in that and, and uh, but also about their family life and how they organize their lives, which is very different than my own experience. So a thing about a snapshot is a snapshot could communicate something I don't know. I actually want to encounter things I don't know very well. I want to learn new things. I want to learn new things every day. Um, and, I, and one way to do that is of course art, because I feel like if these things enter my nervous system now, I have to be, make very clear, some people shouldn't do what I do necessarily because 
sometimes things can enter people's nervous systems and it enters, um, I imagine it enters in, in a way that's um, probably too tumultuous or maybe it's um, too direct. Um, and then, and then it, and then it doesn't, doesn't do uh, what it's supposed to do. And I'm not even sure if my metaphor will, will work with other people. That's just how it feels to me. Cause it feels like something that's happening all, you know, inside of me and it's not any particular thing. It's not particularly the head or the heart, you know, or the feet. It's like, it's like, um, you know, and it might be, I think it's connected to empathy, but you know, again, the English language is, is good. It's great, but it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the English language can't do everything. and It's not exhaustible or exhaustive, you know, of, uh, of trying to talk about things like what you love. Right. So I brought a whole um, pile of books here that, that I might've talked about, you know, and I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be boring or wear out my welcome. I think I played too long on the piano. I hope I didn't, but you know, it took the form that it did. And so on this Friday the 13th, or only Friday the 13th for 2022, I just want to say that I hope uh, your, your day um, does not live up to the superstitions of the day, or what I should call the folklore of the day, which is most likely uh, false, perhaps. I don't know. That's not my field of study. And I hope you uh, tune in next Friday for Alexandra Carter and The Lost Daughter. We're not showing the film The Lost Daughter, we're talking about it. Although, um, I'd love to do a director's commentary uh, type, type audio commentary someday for a movie. I'd like to do it on here and show the film here. I have films I'd love to do that with. Um, uh, it'd be great. So I think that's everything. So I'll say goodbye, have a, have a good weekend. A decent weekend and um, I'll see you soon.